going to be great on the recording. I got a green light. This is awesome. Check, 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 check. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Oh, it doesn't have the little, uh, sorry. Are we good now? Okay. Hey, if you're watching online or listening to the recording three days from now, really sorry you missed the beginning. It was awesome. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, Anyway, so here we have Paul encouraging them in the certainty of the blessings that they have in Christ. Now, in your translation, uh, whatever translation you're holding, you're going to see a little word, if, if. Yeah, pastor, we know English, right? If. Now, that probably appears before this list of blessings that they have in Christ. Now, so you might read that and you might say, well, Paul's saying, well, if there is any encouragement in Christ. But what Paul's not doing is he's not questioning if the Philippians have these things, okay? What this is, is he's using a type of a a tool of speech uh, to point out that because they actually do have these things, they should complete his joy by demonstrating this unity that he goes on talking about. Uh, You know, the greatest uh, joy that a teacher or a a pastor, or in this case, Paul, you know, a missionary teacher, the greatest joy he could have, right, would be that he would teach them how to live uh, unified in Christ, that he would present, present and proclaim the gospel, they would believe, and then they would go on and mirror and reflect that unity uh, of the Lord. And to see your, uh, you guys know, if you have kids, like the, the, the greatest joy you could have is you teach your kids, and then when they grow up, they actually live out what you've taught them, like, oh, like, that, that's, a, that's joy, right? You, you get joy from that. And so he wants them to make his joy complete. And I know we kind of, like, we could talk for a while about what all that means and everything. But he wanted to do that by demonstrating this unity that he's been talking about. Now, some of you are like, okay, but how does this relate to serving? We'll get there. If Christians cannot live unified, sharing the same attitude or mindset, then the power of the gospel to transform people comes into question. When this happens, our message, the glorious gospel, can actually lose credibility with unbelievers. Whereas when we're unified, God is glorified and the gospel is more credible to those on the outside. Our unity makes our message more credible to them. Now, our message is just as credible, right? It's just as true. But people looking on the outside, when they see us all, you know, divisive and and backstabbing and backbiting and everything... That's going to take away from the credibility of what we're trying to tell them, right? Tell them about the love of Christ and how, how Jesus died to, to establish this, this kingdom, the church, and, and, and we're supposed to love and serve and spread and proclaim the good news and unity, and then we're backbiting and they see it, and it, it takes away from that credibility of the message that we're proclaiming to them. It's like when we do things in accordance with what we say, people are more likely to believe it. I fear sometimes that we're hypocrites 
in that we do, uh, we do the other things of Scripture, but we don't champion unity with one another, right? We talk about the things in Scripture that, that uh, maybe come a little easier for us because some people are hard to love, okay? Or we talk about maybe some of the other things, and, and we're, we're okay doing these other things, but then uh, when it comes to unity, we sometimes like feel like maybe we get a free pass there. And we become hypocrites in that because we do part of it and we're, we're champion part of it, but we don't champion the unity of it. And we see this happen in churches all the time, all the time. But what are these blessings that are granted in Christ, these, these blessings that, that he talks about, the certainty of these blessings? Well, the first one is encouragement in Christ, encouragement in Christ. That's the blessing of knowing Christ and being found in him. It's the gift of faith. There's nothing to lift our spirits more. Nothing to lift our spirits more than knowing that we are found in Jesus Christ. Even though we go through pain, suffering, and trials of many kinds here on earth, and we do, like we go through pain, like it's hard to be alive, okay? It's hard to be alive, And even though we go through pain and suffering and trials of many kinds, we can find encouragement in our relationship with Jesus. We find our encouragement in Christ. Because look, even this morning, okay, even this morning, I came in here, even this morning, and I've got stuff on my mind and heart that that hurts, that isn't fun, and I can do a couple of things. I could forget the truths that I know and let that drag me into a hole. Or I can believe that Jesus has it handled and find encouragement that no matter what happens in any other situations that I've got going on personally, that Jesus would be glorified, that his will would be done, and no matter what happens, I'm in Christ because of the message of the gospel. Because the truth that Jesus Christ, Son of God, 100% man and 100% God, came to earth, born of a virgin. We're going to celebrate that, right? Born of a virgin, lived this perfect, sinless life, and gave that life willingly on a cross and died in my place for my sin. And when we repent of our sin and trust the good news of the gospel... And oh yeah, by the way, three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the grave, proving that it was the perfect sacrifice to take care of sin, and it was once and for all. And so he took my sin upon himself and gives me his righteousness, his right standing before God. When I repent of my sins and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, in him alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith in Jesus alone, then no matter what else happens... I can take encouragement in the fact that I'm found in Christ. And then I know that if I die when I'm 105 or I walk out of here and get hit by a bus, I don't know why it's always a bus, but, uh, or sometimes I heard somebody say that on a podcast this week. Sometimes it's a truck. I do hear that. So if I get hit by a Mack truck, right, um, it's more likely that I walk out of here and get hit by one of these crossover SUVs that parks over here during the week because they come out this way. Uh, but if I walk out of here, or whether I'm, or whether I'm alive till I'm 105, then I can find my encouragement in the fact that I'm found in Christ. 
And if you're found in Christ, if you've trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, you can take encouragement in that too. If you have not, then we should discuss that after church. Number two, one of the blessings that we have in Christ is comfort from love. Specifically, the love of Christ comforts us. We know God's love, and that love, his love, makes us love others. The more deeply we become keenly aware of the love that Christ has for us, make us more abundantly love others. Do you have trouble loving others? How keenly aware are you of the love that Christ has for us and for them? How much have you divin, have you divin, dove, dove, how much have you dwelt on, let's use a different word, how much have you dwelt on the love of Christ for you and others and taken comfort in that? Because when you take comfort in that, you can love other people because you know that even while you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. Like, he died for his enemies. Surely, because I know that kind of love, I can love those who maybe would, in my flesh, be harder to love. Third is participation in the Spirit. Participation in the Spirit. Yours might say fellowship, your translation, particularly. But the Greek word that is sometimes translated as fellowship or partnership is the same that we found in verse 5 of chapter 1. Let me remind you, chapter 1, verse 5 says, because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, well, there's lots of things about the Holy Spirit, not just one thing, but the Holy Spirit unites us. We are united in the Spirit of God. See, if you've trusted in Christ that I talked about earlier, and you believe the message of the gospel, and you've surrendered to Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come and indwelled you, like come and lives inside of you and empowers you for living out the things of Scripture. He unites us as brothers and sisters in the family of God. That only happens by the Holy Spirit. He makes us partners in the gospel and helps us in our weaknesses. Helps us in our weaknesses. This is one of the blessings that was guaranteed. Like, if you've trusted Christ, you have this partnership with other believers in the Spirit, this participation in the Spirit. He was telling the Philippians this in their church. Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We worship God by the Spirit. We worship God by the Spirit. Philippians 3.3, if I could skip ahead a little bit, says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in in the flesh. So let's ask this question about the. You know, when you go through the text, like you got to ask questions of the text. It's okay. The Bible can stand for itself, okay? So you ask questions because we want to understand what this is talking about. Because sometimes there's phrases that, you know, they were written in Greek or in the Old Testament, maybe in Hebrew, and they get translated. And, and if it's a real good translation, uh, but still sometimes we're like, ah, I'm not sure if the English word's there. And how we use them now. And so we look at it 
And we ask questions like, why would Paul just write these things in this letter to these people? Why would he have specifically written that, these particular things about participation in the Spirit, for example, to the church at Philippi? Well, here's the truth. Paul knew that the Philippian church was facing possible disunity. They were in danger of being disunified. The threat was real. And here, he reminds them that the fellowship they have, the partnership they have, the, uh, the Greek word, the koinonia, that we've talked about before, that they share this unity, this love, this partnership is spirit-produced and not from their own working. They didn't just work up a bunch of warm, gushy feelings about each other. But it is produced by the spirit. I'll probably never forget this story uh, that my papa Cannon told me. My papa was my, my only grandfather that I ever knew. He was my mom's stepdad, but he married my mama, Gervis. That was her first name, Gervis. Uh, that's a whole other story. We can go into that. Her name was Gervis Ozell. That was her middle name, Ozell. Gervis Ozell, okay? We did not name any of our kids after her. Um, none of them were girls, so that'd be weird. But anyway, um, so some of you are like, Gervis is a girl's name? They didn't even know. Um, but anyway, she was amazing. But anyway, my papa was great. Uh, he was a deacon in our church, handlebar mustache, uh, airplane mechanic, like a restored antique airplanes, very famous in the, uh, the uh, Antique Air, uh, Aircraft Association, AAA. There's still people that know about him. Went by the name of Ace, Ace Cannon, CC Ace Cannon. Anyway, Papa Cannon. So Papa um, told this story. And probably one of the reasons I remember this story the most is because he told it to me after I had punched a kid out in the hallway at church. Um, that's, again, that's, you don't need to know all the details there. We, we can talk about that later another time. But my papa came in, and I had to have a meeting with the deacons at church because uh, I punched a kid out at church, and that's what has to happen uh, when you do that. So don't do that. Um, uh, I was wrong, okay? I was not right, and I believe I got saved later. So just so you know. Anyway, um, he told me this story. He said, yeah, there was this guy at these airplane meetings I go to. And he said, I just couldn't stand the guy. Like, couldn't stand it. Drove me nuts. Could not stand the guy. Okay? He didn't say whether the guy was a Christian or not. And, and it didn't really matter to this story whether he was or not. Um, but he said, I just couldn't stand him. I didn't want to be him. If he was sitting there, I'd go sit over there. They'd have these dinners, you know. Couldn't stand it. Then one day he felt like um, God was leading him to pray for this man. So he started praying for this guy. He just prayed for him all the time. He said it was the strangest thing that he'd go to these meetings and all of a sudden, he just couldn't get enough of that guy. He wanted to sit by him at dinner. He wanted to talk to him. He just, the guy would say things he'd be really interested in. He started just loving that guy. Because my papa discovered something. He discovered uh, that it's really, really hard to not, like, to, to, to not love someone who you're praying for. It's really, really hard to not be unified with someone who you are praying for. And I don't mean praying like that something bad would happen to him, okay? Some of y'all are reading the imprecatory Psalms where David's praying for bad stuff to happen to his enemies, all right? You know, that's not how, that's not, I don't think we're supposed to do that, okay? It's spirit produced. Our unity, our love for one another is produced by the spirit. 
not in our own strength. Our own strength. If I love you in my own strength, the minute you do something that irritates me, I'm I'm probably done. Okay? Probably done. Um, But if it's through the Spirit, nothing can take care of you. Nothing can kill that. Some of you know. You've been through hard things with your church body. But that Spirit-produced unity, that Spirit-produced love stands. The fourth um, certainty of blessing they have is affection and sympathy. Affection and sympathy. This affection and and mercy or sympathy, again, depending on the translation, that's been shown to us comes from the very source of these things, the infinite source of these things. He's the God of all compassion. The tender care that he shows to us should cause us to be on the lookout for the best interest of other people especially those who are members of the body of Christ. And for a picture of this, we, look, we need to look no farther than Epaphroditus, who is discussed, where? In the letter to the church of Philippi. Philippians chapter 2, 25 through 30. We read about Epaphroditus. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. And honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And then he's mentioned again in Philippians 4.18. says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. There was affection, there was sympathy They felt, not only did they feel for Paul, they felt for Epaphroditus because he was sick. And he felt concerned about them because they had heard he was sick. And there's a mutual concern, an affection, a sympathy, a mercy that we only really find in this way in the body of Christ. I know that there are people who are affectionate who don't know Jesus, okay? But it's different. It's different. It should be different. And I think that's part of how we know if we've sort of tapped in <laughs> to that, that idea of that spirit-produced unity and love and hope is when we can have a sharp disagreement and remain unified and be full of forgiveness for one another and continue down the road together advancing the gospel. The reason that we get to experience these incredible blessings is because, the reason they got to experience these incredible blessings is because they were believers. They were truly Christ followers who had trusted in the gospel. They trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for salvation. And we get to share in those things too if we've trusted in Jesus Christ. If you've heard and believe the gospel message, the one that I talked about earlier, because God is a a a perfect, 
holy, sovereign creator. And he created man. And man sinned. And when man sinned in the garden, it brought sin into the world. A sin nature that is on all of us. And sin must have wrath poured out upon it as the punishment for sin. And that has to happen because God is just. Sin must be punished, must have wrath poured out upon it, must be judged. But God, how great a phrase is that, but God also is love. And so Jesus took that wrath in our place on the cross and died the death that we should have died. And rose again, showing that God accepted it as a sacrifice. If you believe, that, believe this good news, you've repented of your sin, then you too get to share in these incredible blessings and can rejoice in them. Now Paul's communication style here is a sign of how he feels about this group of Christians. He's warm, he, he speaks pastorally to them, but he relishes their blessings before he gets to the part where he's exhorting them. And uh, Tony Marita says this, he says, If all you ever do is tell people what they're supposed to be doing, then they will get burned out. Remind people of the blessings while giving them the imperatives. Do this for your own soul and do this for other Christians. Some churches that you go to, you get a, you get a bunch of to-dos, right? You get stuff added to your to-do list. People don't need an endless list of religious things to do. Yes, there are definite commands in Scripture, but we need to be constantly reminded of the blessings we have in Christ because out of that will flow our spirit-produced activity. So we must be reminded of the blessings because out of that, the truth of those blessings and our understanding of them will flow that Christian living. When we talk about unity, though, we're not speaking of uniformity. However, we should be consistently unified in Christ. But let's talk about being consistent in our unity, or specifically about the Philippians and what Paul wanted them to know about being consistent in their unity. First of all, uh, our unity has a couple of components. It has an external component and an internal component. And when we get the internal, it tends to sort of turn your heart inside out, right? Where you, on the inside, you're right and, and unified in your love and your affection. You understand these blessings and then your activity flows out of that, right? Just like when you become a Christian, Jesus changes your heart, and out of that, your life changes. It's from the inside out, like I, that song says that was real popular a few years ago. So he tells them, how, how are they supposed to be consistent in their unity? They're supposed to be of the same mind, of the same mind. Their mentality should be the same. They should have the same mentality in order for the church to be united. They should put away their rivalries and their small disagreements and their fights over personal preferences, and set their sights on the common mission and remember their identity in Christ. So they should have the same mentality. When we get distracted, I see it all the time in churches, friends, churches, other churches, churches I've been a part of. When we let our personal preference become the ultimate thing in our life where we got to fight for our preferences to be matched, then we lose sight of our common mission and we let disunity reign. So they should have the same mind. Second, they should have a Christ-like humility. In chapter 1, Paul had mentioned the preachers who were motivated wrongly by rivalry with him, right? And yet he rejoiced that the gospel was being proclaimed, that Christ was being proclaimed. And here, Paul tells the church as a whole to avoid that kind of attitude of rivalry. 
If you have rivalry in a church, it will tear the congregation apart. It divides people. And as such, each member of the church should be aware of rivalry when it's present and doing its thing. And each member of the church should work to kill it. Because rivalry will tear a church apart. We as followers of Jesus are to be about his glory and not our own. And we should rejoice when God uses someone else to advance his kingdom and proclaim the Lord Jesus. We shouldn't be upset when the church down the street has a lot of people that that come to Jesus and they have more baptisms than we do. We should be cheering them on if they're, you know, again, if they're proclaiming the same gospel we do, the biblical gospel. Christ-like humility. We're supposed to not be conceited. Now, the Greek word for conceit here is translated vainglory or vain conceit in some translations. This is an empty glory. It's fake glory. It's glory that doesn't even really exist. One scholar wrote that people are literally conceited over nothing. (laughs) Vain glory is being conceited over nothing. But the total opposite is true of Jesus Christ. He had all glory, real glory. And for your sake and my sake, he humbled himself even to death on a cross. Now our culture tells you that you're supposed to chase the approval of men. You're supposed to get as many followers as you can and get as many likes on social media. From people you don't even know. But Jesus teaches us to work for God's glory and the advancement of the gospel. And in this, we will never be disappointed. Romans twelve sixteen tells us, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. A church will never truly be unified if the people in the church do not walk in humility. There's too much in us that wants to fight for prominence and wants our own ways. We want special honors. But when we humble ourselves and put the needs of others above our own, then we will see unity break out in the church. This brings us to our final point this morning, excuse me, which is to cease self-serving or cease self-service. Just stop. I wouldn't use the word stop, but it doesn't begin with C. Look not to your own interests only, but to the interests of others. C.S. Lewis wrote a a helpful description of a humble person. Uh, Honestly, I read it last night. I don't know if I've ever read that particular quote before, but I was quoted in one of these commentaries. And I threw it in because I really liked it. C.S. Lewis describes a humble person this way. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person. I love that. He will, not be, he will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. I've heard, I've heard it said that a humble person, uh, and I have no idea who coined this phrase, okay, but uh, that a humble person doesn't think little about himself. He thinks about himself little. 
um, which is it says much the same thing here. But I love it that you wouldn't you wouldn't notice it. You'd probably just be oh, he's cheerful, intelligent. He took a real interest in me, and that's part of it. As when we're really humble, when we're humility is one of those things that like once you think you've got it, you're proving you don't. You know, but 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 a truly humble person like we're will be more interested in the other person. Like they want to know about the person. They want to hear, hear, take a real interest in that person and how they're doing. Serve humbly because you're confident in the certainty you have and the blessings you have in Christ. And want to be consistent in that unity. So how does this, how does this all go towards service? Well, it goes towards service because um, when we're thinking more and more concerned with the interests and the needs of other people than we are with our own and we're not just sitting around thinking about our own self all the time but we're thinking about others then we're willing out of that love and that humility and that knowing of the truth of the gospel then we are willing to serve from that place so that I'm not just concerned about me getting everything I need this is why a lot of people like they come to church and they're just consumers. They're like, I want to get for me. I want to get for me. And, and, oh, I didn't, and they say things like, oh, I really didn't get that much out of worship this morning. Oh, the, the sermon wasn't really doing it for me. Because they're just here to, they're here to consume. And so then and they stay a few years, and then they move on to the next place. Uh, and they stay a few years there. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm just not really being fed. And I want to say things like, well, I know that pastor... And I know what kind of food he puts in the trough. If you're not eating, that's not really on him, is it? And what it does is it causes us, when we're just looking for what we can get, then we don't try to find places where we can serve other people. So here's some questions I want to ask. And I'm going to ask, actually, the musicians if they could go ahead and come forward. But I want to ask you guys a couple of questions. And by a couple, I mean like five, okay? I want you to ask these questions of yourself and maybe ask God to reveal these things to you in your heart. Number one, am I competing for people's attention and approval? Am I competing for people's attention and approval? Number two... Do I find it difficult or easy to rejoice in the success of others? Do you find it difficult or is it easy for you to rejoice, truly rejoice in the success of others? Number three, am I conceited? Don't anyone yell yes at me. I'm asking you to ask about yourself. I know the answer for myself, okay? Am I conceited? Are you conceited? Number four, do you think you're superior to people? Are, are there people out there, a group of people, that you think you are superior to? Maybe they live on the other side of town. Or maybe they have the other type of politics that you do. Or maybe they live in another country and you think you're superior in some way. Do you think you're superior to people? Number five, Am I concerned with the needs of others? Am I concerned with the needs of others? 
or do I focus mostly on what I need and want? I want to give you four sort of steps. You guys know I don't like the four steps to this and that thing, okay? Uh, But I want to give you four sort of practical applications that can help you to grow in your unity, okay? And to decrease in your conceit, okay? Number one, look to the cross. Look to Jesus. See, pride dies at the cross because there's no room for pride at the cross. It dies there. Look to Jesus. Number two, seek him in the word. Reflect on what you see and humbly submit. Meditate on the greatness of God. And what you see of Jesus in the word, go into it not... I'm going to see what I think about this. Go into it with a heart that is already submitted and says, whatever I see, I'm going to submit my life to. Because I care more about God's interest than my own. Goes back to that that song Hosanna that I talked about last week, that that line that just kills me. And it's when when, when you sing, break my heart for what breaks yours. That we would have our hearts broken for what breaks God's heart. Third way of building humility and, and unity is prayer. I told that story about my papa earlier. But when we lack humility, we often find prayerlessness is the result. See, we find, if we look and we look and go, oh gosh, I'm really not very humble. A lot of times we look and we find that there's a correlation with our prayerlessness. So humble yourself before God regularly in prayer and cast your cares on him. You have to be humble when you go to God in prayer because you're acknowledging that he's greater than you and that you're not the greatest thing in the world, but that he is. And submit yourself humbly before him. And number four is serve other people. Be like the early Christians. For that matter, just be Christian and serve humbly. Well, pastor, I don't know where to serve. Well, you can serve others uh, in your neighborhood. You can serve others at your workplace. You can serve others at your church. We have more and more ministries now that we're starting to do, okay? That we're starting to, to, to bring, not bring back, but even to bring afresh and anew as we've sort of replanted this church in the last year, year and a half. And so there's going to be opportunities for you to serve, we have opportunities right now. We, we, we need to bring back our children's ministry or bring a new children's ministry, and there's opportunities there. We, ha- we, have, uh, we have nursery. There's opportunities there. We have uh, different uh, outreaches that we've been doing, the Christmas walk. We've got getting ready for things like blood drives and people we let use the building. We've got opportunities there. But more than that, God, if you are a believer, God has, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift. And, and we don't want to just devise ministries and try to find people to plug in. We want to find out what we've got people who are gifted at, where your gift is. And let's, I want to equip you and set you free to minister and to serve in that way. But you've got to be humble and, and you've got to understand that it's the needs of others that have to take precedence. And what God wants has to take precedence over your own personal preference, and even sometimes your comfort. 
There's a song called How Deep the Father's Love. It's written uh, Stuart Townsend, I believe. And um, as I thought about this, and, and it was, I, saw, I saw one line of it um, in a book as I was getting ready. And, and I, I like the song anyway. I have for years. But I thought about it as we talk about being humbled and looking to the cross and reflecting on, on uh, Jesus and the word and seeking him in prayer and serving other people. There is no greater example of that than Jesus Christ. Would you stand up with me? I'm going to read a, a, a verse from this song, and then I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll come to a time where we're going to sing one final worship song. As we do that, uh, that is your time to, of course, worship, but it, it, it's your time really to make a decision because you've been presented with the word of God. And so every time that happens, we're presented with a decision. Am I going to believe this Take and, and submit to it? Or am I going to refuse and turn away? And those are the two options we have. And when I think about Jesus and when I think about humility, the song just says so much. Behold the man upon a cross my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Lord Jesus, as we come to this time of, of decision, God, I just pray that you would move in our hearts and help us to submit freely to you pray you'd give us that faith. Give us that sweet gift of repentance that we need. Help us not be conceited. Help us be humble before you and unified. And God, may we serve from a place of surrender and humility and, and unified as a body, focused mentally and, and with our hearts set on your mission on advancing the kingdom, advancing the gospel, not, not building our own kingdom, but building your kingdom, Jesus. Show us your power and love in this church.